The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tolst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. Keep the music flowing. We'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Hello, it's the Spark Parade, a show where I talk to amazing people about the art and culture that's shaped their lives. I'm Adam Unz. Thank you so much for joining me yet again. Or for the first time, if you've never listened before, I don't know your life. I don't know what you have or haven't listened to, and I hate to make assumptions. Anyway, this week, I'll be talking to drag queen and CrossFit icon Sybil War, a.k.a. Mark Whistler, about his love for the 1995 film Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, starring Patrick Swayze, Wesley Snipes, and John Leguizamo, and singer, actor, diva, icon, legend, Cher who you may have heard of before. Yes, folks, it's getting pretty gay in here this week. It's always pretty gay in here, you say? Correct! So, what's been happening with me this week? I went to a couple of amazing concerts, and you'll hear all about them later on, but I really want to talk about the venues. One was Radio City Music Hall, and the other was Brooklyn Steel in Williamsburg. Very different to each other, but I really love them both, and that got me thinking about the ways in which your experience of art can be affected by the building in which you engage with it. If it's spacious and designed with the people who visit it in mind, it can make your visit seamless, or even enhance it. Or, if it's cramped and poorly designed, it can distract you so much that you're unable to focus on the art. My favorite art spaces are not only incredible from a functional standpoint, they're works of art in their own right. Walking into Radio City for the first time is overwhelming. It's so grand and gorgeous. I get the same feeling walking into the King's Theater in Brooklyn, and both of those venues are also comfortable and have great sight lines. In those cases, the surroundings enhance the experience. When I was in London recently, I visited the Tate Modern, and again, it's a venue that's been thoughtfully designed with the millions of visitors it receives taking top priority. It's bright, airy, the rooms have high ceilings, and I'm super claustrophobic, so I really value being given extra room in public spaces. The exterior of the museum is equally, if not more, impressive. The main building is a former power station, and the original outlines of the structure have been preserved, but the new extension really pulled my focus on this visit. It's a giant brick sort of pyramid with strips of windows. It looks like something out of Blade Runner. And there's an incredible viewing deck at the top that wraps around the whole building. It's beautiful. 
And that's my ideal arts venue, a building that is an impressive work of art in its own right, that gives careful consideration to the art it houses and to its visitors. Obviously, sometimes arts venues will be functional and not particularly beautiful, and that's totally cool too, as long as the other parts are looked after. I can watch a movie at a completely run-of-the-mill cinema, and as long as the seats are comfortable and the sight lines are good, I'm happy. Even though the building itself may be unmemorable, the focus is on enhancing the experience of the viewer and ensuring that they can consume art in the best conditions possible. I know all of this is pretty obvious, but your surroundings really fucking matter when it comes to art consumption. They can make or break your experience. I've seen the same production of a play in two different theaters and had wildly different opinions on the show, largely based on the environment in which I watched it. So to make a long story short, much too late, Adam, I know, I know, art consumption isn't just about the work itself. It's about your environment. So take a moment to appreciate it when an effort has been made to create a comfortable, engaging, or beautiful place for you to consume your art. Sound good? Great! Glad we agree. And now, let's gallop forward to the interview, shall we? Here comes my chat with Civil War about Tu Wong Fu and Cher. So, why don't we start with Tu Wong Fu? One of the greatest movies of all time ever. A little, uh, little warm-up to the main event, I guess we could say. Um, and I think if we're going to start with it, we need to use its full title. I'm so sorry. To Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Wonderful. I um, have to stop myself from then saying the next line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, were you alive when it was yes. released? Yes, I was, was alive. It, as much as I would just, like to say that I was born after 1995. Okay. Uh, no, I was, how old was I? Seven. I was seven mm-hmm. when this movie came out. And... I was probably eight or nine when I saw it for the first time. Mm. I remember we were the like one of the first kids in my block to have Sky TV. So we had the Sky Movie channels and it was on Sky Movies. And I just remember being like, what is this? Because the opening of that movie is drag legends mm-hmm. to the nth degree. And remember, this is like 95. This is before This is before Drag Race was even a thing. This is when RuPaul was famous the first time around. Right. And it opens with this drag show of a, at a level that was here to unseen in the world. Mm-hmm. And you've got, you look at it now that these names are famous, but like Coco Peru, Flotilla de Barge, uh, Quentin Crisp is there. Um, mm. RuPaul is obviously in it. Lady There's Bunny. Lady Bunny, uh, Misunderstood, Joey Aria's there. Like, mm-hmm. it's all of these New York legends. And the opening sequence when Patrick Swayze, who up until this point has been one of the most, like, male sex icons in movies, like, that dirty dancing made him that se- that icon. And you see him get out of the shower and, like, he's humming away to himself. And there's this lingering shot where a young, a young Sybil <laughs> uh, tried desperately to pause it right at the moment to see if he could see a glimpse. But he comes out of the shower and it's just glistening and it's amazing. And then he just sits down and you see him, like, shave a little bit. And he puts on Body Beautiful by Salt and Pepper, which is just the perfect <laughs> song. Uh, for it and then just like puts his hair up and just goes ready or not here comes mama (laughs) and then this like transformation scene between 
Patrick Swayze and Wesley Snipes, another like incredible action hero of the like early two thousand early nineties, uh, um, slowly transform into these incredible women, and that's actually the only time in the entire movie that you see them in their male personas Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because from that moment in it's drag all the way honey yeah and it's just you then just get this explosion of drag before it pairs down into the actual like kind of crux of the story and you're introduced to john leguamo um as chichi rodriguez and you then kind of start to really kind of meander down the actual kind of story Mm -hmm. of tu wong fu but it's it was so eye-opening to me as a Mm -hmm. as a kid i like I grew up in the UK and I remember from a young age seeing Lily Savage and, and Dame right, Edna. Right. And drag was this kind of stand-up comedy, over-the-top kind of thing that you saw on telly. But this was like drag to another level. Mm-hmm. And then it actually having this quite kind of heartfelt story that ran through it. It just, it was, it was mind-blowing to me. Yeah. I, I also always, I, like I remember at the time thinking it was so incredible that these actors, these men, who all of them were known for playing roles that were like very alpha male exactly. or, you know, at least hyper masculine. Like, yeah, I, I, you know, Patrick Swayze was a dancer yeah. um, and people kind of knew that. But the roles that he played were never about like beauty and grace or anything outside of dirty dancing maybe exactly um, but wesley um, snipes begged to be in this movie because mm. up until that point he'd been completely typecast like demolition man uh white man can't jump like as this kind of like machismo alpha male yeah um and he like he wanted this as something to kind of completely broaden his spectrum and he is in my opinion unrecognizable mm-hmm. in and, this film yeah as Noxima. Like, mm-hmm. he steals the show. Totally. And as as much as the film kind of centers around John Leguamo's character, like, mm-hmm. being passable as a woman and, uh, like, falling in love with a man and kind of having this whole kind of relationship dynamic and her journey to become this incredible drag queen, it's really Wesley Snipes mm-hmm. in his transformation and the way he moves his body. And it's just, you've never seen him like that. And I also think Wesley Snipes, like... Noxima's character is the one of the three who gets the least kind of backstory you know the least about her life and you know everything like is it Vida is that mm-hmm. Vida Boam yes. there's like the the little bits of her mm-hmm. family and her relationship with her parents and stuff but with Noxima the backstory isn't as much written into the script completely but you still feel so much so like attached you know to her. who she is and get a real sense of her as a person and i think that's a testament to wesley snipes's acting completely um there's those really tender moments like it's very easy to write nogzima off as the comic relief within a comedy movie mm-hmm. um and playing this kind of like over the top like sassy black friend but the relationship that she has with the miss clara character the old lady mm-hmm. that they meet in the in the town who hasn't spoken since her husband died and like that kind of real soft side to her mm-hmm. um, gives you this real insight into who Nogzima is as a character without getting any of that backstory that you've got with the other two characters. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's, it would be a miss to talk about Tu Wong Fu without talking about Priscilla. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a real shame that it often gets overshadowed by Priscilla. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Little known fact, they were actually written and produced and filmed at exactly the same time. It was just that Priscilla made it to cinemas uh, before Tu Wong Fu. The comparisons were obviously immediate. Um, Yeah, inevitable. (laughs) But one of the things I've always thought about the two films is like, they both stand up in their own right as incredible films. But Priscilla really tells the story about three, or rather two gay men and a trans woman, and their journey through life working as drag queens and performers. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very much a job for them. And that's why they start the road trip. That's why they're traveling. It's they're rehearsing a show. Whereas Tu Wong Fu is about three drag queens being in drag the entire time, which does not happen. (laughs) Right, right. Because there's like... The, the fact that in Priscilla they have an entire bus mm-hmm. that they take with them and in Tu Wong Fu they manage to fit enough drag for three uh, drag queens who are travelling across country to compete in a drag competition <laughs> right. into the back of a one Cadillac yeah. uh, which is just ridiculous <laughs> but they the thing that I think about Tu Wong Fu is like you get Whereas with Priscilla you get a sense of what it is like to be either a trans woman or a gay man who works as a drag queen Mm -hmm. and what that dynamic is in terms of how you interact with the rest of the world especially in the um, the scene where she goes out she takes the ecstasy and goes out Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. gets gets beaten up whereas with Tu Wong Fu and I think this is the thing that kind of really spoke to my soul it was about what it was like to be a drag queen and how drag queens interact with each other and Mm -hmm. how drag queens interact with the rest of the world yeah and there's so many wonderful lines and real throwaway, like under the breath moments that I only really get. I've watched this film well over a hundred times, and I can pretty much quote it verbatim. But there's there's just like the beautiful bits when it's just like when Chi Chi wanders off and Vida's like, "This girl's gonna get herself killed," and it's just like under her breath, Nagazima just goes, "When?" <laughs> like this longingly, and it's it's at no point are they not drag queens. Yeah, and that's what I love about it. It doesn't break the fantasy, and the the moment it does break the fantasy, when Chi Chi and Vida are having the big argument, mm-hmm. and Virgil is beating up Stockard Channing's mm-hmm. uh, character, and she's just like, "I have to go and help her." She's like powdering her nose really frantically, and it's just like, and they're having this kind of like back and forth, and Chi Chi throws out this thing that's just like, "You didn't become a drag queen to like perform it's because you failed at being a man." And Vida gets up and is like, "What did you say?" And she like goes for her and catches her wig, and the wig comes off, and it's at that moment she's like, "I am a man," and that's the only moment other than the beginning when you see them out of drag, and then that's when she walks up and she kicks the living hell out of Virgil, the, the abusive husband. And there's just this, I, I, I could just, I could wax and gush about this film forever. But mm-hmm. I think it's, I think that's one of the things that when I started drag and I started interacting with other drag queens, like I thank that film for the understanding I had around community and understanding and Priscilla. Mm-hmm. But when you're in drag and you can be, shady or throw comments and it's about this kind of like one-upmanship and everything but at the core of it everyone is looking out for each other and everyone is trying to further the art form of drag Mm -hmm. as a whole and lift each other up and like that's really the message of Tu Wong Fu yeah and Priscilla it's they're they're like coming of age they're both kind of coming of age stories they're both about growth of the people underneath the drag and one is just happens to be about the man under the drag and the other one happens to be about like the performer and the artist as the drag queen. Right. And I think that uh, what you said about it being complete fantasy is important 
as well because of the time period when mm-hmm. this came out that it was like when the script w- was written it was you know huge amounts of gay men dying of aids and gay people were portrayed in movies and tv as people who were sick and dying mm-hmm. and who were living under the cloud of this terrible disease and having this movie that is this complete fantasy where there's all you know there's not gay romantic relationships Mm -hmm. or sex or anything but they don't shy away from the fact that these are gay men that it's not like panto exactly uh, like men dressed up as women and it's all just a silly thing it's like that that moment where they're all driving in the car and they really clearly define like you know oh. this is what a trans woman is this is what a drag queen is this is what a transvestite is yeah. like yeah this um, is what a transvestite is yeah like um, i love the fact that even then like okay maybe by today's standards the terms they use in that scene are completely outdated but for mm-hmm. the time right just that sequence for a heterosexual audience watching that you're just like oh oh i see now that makes sense mm-hmm. like that that is what a transgender person is, that is what a transvestite is, that is what a drag queen is. I see the difference now. It's not just men dressing as women. Right, and drawing that distinction really explicitly saying, this is a movie about gay people, Mm -hmm. and these are three gay men who are in drag, Mm -hmm. and that, like, we're, like, setting the tone, saying that that's something that they want everybody to understand. Completely. And, yeah, I thought that was really great. Um, Also, I read this profile or like a, a piece that the guy who brought the script to steven spielberg yep wrote and just talking about like the effect that this movie had on the amblin offices and steven spielberg being um such a huge champion of yeah. the movie and just very clearly not having a homophobic bone in his body mm-hmm. really uh lifting up his gay employees and the fact that he was willing to not just willing, but actively wanted Push, to make this exactly. movie, made it so that the guy who, um, I don't know his name, uh, listeners, I will find that for you and it'll be in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, he said that he was the only out employee when before this movie came out. Yeah. And then when the movie was put into production, it was like everybody who was gay in the office finally felt comfortable saying that they were gay. And I like the idea that he said... He, Initially, when there was an AIDS walk, he could go around and do a collection. He was the only gay. And then when all these other people started coming out, he had too much competition for <laughs> AIDS walk donations. And so he like, had to oh, leave. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is my thing. I was the only gay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, just like the, the power of having this mainstream movie made by a major studio, mm. championed by one of the biggest names at in the Hollywood. Time, like the big, like one of, right. the biggest director in Hollywood at the time. Yeah. Um, and really pushing that through, as you say, like it just, and then having these like massive names mm. attached to it. It's like, it's just a beautiful capsule of a film. Mm-hmm. The script is wonderful. The impact it has is wonderful. The message, the message it has, there's no negativity in the whole thing. Like the relationship between uh, Chi Chi and Bobby Ray, where like they're flirting and he like, he loves her and everything. And then at the end, when he finds out that they're all the drag queens, like there's no negativity. Mm-hmm. And when the townspeople all come together and like stand up for the drag queens and like fight bigotry, you're just like, see, this is what it's like. Like if you get to know people, like that's why I think that was one of the overarching 
themes of the entire movie is mm. whether it's Chi Chi and the and Vida and Noxima as like three drag queens getting to know each other and kind of taking taking the younger one under the wing, or whether it's the townsfolk getting to know the drag queens. It's just about acceptance. Mm. And actually, if you get to know someone, we have more in common than we don't, and we're stronger together. Yeah. And just the power of around the peak of the AIDS crisis, having a movie about gay men where there's a happy ending and there's... An American-made movie. Because that's the Uh, other thing. Like, Priscilla is an Australian-made movie. It's a a classic of Australian cinema, mm -hmm. which has a very different relationship to LGBT people than uh, America did at the time. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like having having an American-made film like that out there with these big names... Certainly changed my life. <laughs> yeah. And all of the moments where you can see the like homophobic attack being inserted, where like all of the townspeople are kind of, uh, or like the kind of towny men are mm-hmm. surrounding uh, Chi-Chi and then later on get called out by Noxima. And yep. it's like, mind your fucking manners and you need to treat people with respect. And then it's like, they do and they like clean themselves up and they want to impress her and she's just like oh when you see lady oh it gives him the whole elocution lesson of like when you see ladies what do you say to them oh that's just do you like my nails he grabs (laughs) him by the testicles and drags him along and it's oh it's there's so much about that movie that listeners if you haven't seen it please 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 watch it because it's just such a joyous movie um and I believe this is it an excellent time to move on to the main course. Is that a, is um, that a seamless segue I hear? That is. That is the sound of a seamless segue. Uh, so The goddess herself, Sherilyn Sarkeesian. Great. Uh, yes, this... Oh, where to start? Where to start <laughs> with Sherilyn Sarkeesian herself? I don't think there is a greater gay icon, like gay female icon, than Cher in my mind and I realize those are those are very big words Mm. but Cher has been a constant in the gay zeitgeist since the mid 60s and like all great female icons held up on a pedestal by the gay community and I say gay more than queer or anything but like specifically homosexual men we love an underdog and a comeback story, mm-hmm. and, a, and, a, and a rocky, turbulent history. And Cher has that in buckets. Mm-hmm. And it's the thing, there's just nothing... You look at her history and there's just nothing that she couldn't seem to do. She met Sonny when she was 16, and he was 23, 22. And like, the way she describes it, it's just like, everyone else, she saw him in a room and everyone else faded away. And there's a really amazing interview with that Oprah did with her and Tina Turner, where they knew of each other in the circles at the same time. And both of them have very similar early stages of their career where, like, they were tied to the person they were married to and they were both... The men were overly worried about uh, the women becoming more famous than them, so it became overly controlling. Unfortunately, Ike was abusive, mm. but Sonny was incredibly like mentally controlling of Cher. And it wasn't until they broke away from those men that they really started to to fly mm. under their own wings. And mm-hmm. people forget that like Cher had 
one of the most successful, if not the most successful, variety shows mm-hmm. in TV history in America when variety shows were still a thing. Right. Um, there was the Sonny and Cher show, and then she went into the Just Had the Cher show. And it was like her and Carol Burnett. And she was up there with these like legends. And she was acting and singing and doing sketch comedy and all of this stuff. And then when her music career wasn't doing well, she was like, okay, maybe acting will try. I'll try acting. And then churned out some of the greatest movies of all time ever, mm. in my opinion. Mm. There are some shocking stinkers. Yeah. Uh, but also, like, but there are some... Like, Mask is mm. just... Her portrayal in Mask is pure perfection. And in my opinion, she should have won the Oscar for Mask and not for Moonstruck. Um, Controversial. Like, Moonstruck is good, but her performance in Mask is... I feel like she got the Oscar for Moonstruck because she didn't get the Oscar for Mask. Mm -hmm. I felt like everyone was like, oh, we should have given it to her for for Mask, but we'll give it to her for Moonstruck. And then off the back of that success, to then create this incredible like reinventing of yourself in the late 80s and early 90s as this mm. kind of like pop rock goddess and then to disappear again and then re-emerge with the invention of a vocoder yeah. and auto-tune <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and basically create the bit one of the biggest selling singles of the 90s and then again to like then follow that up with living proof and then again fade away for a while and then come back and there's like burlesque in my opinion, is a work of art. Uh, I saw it six times in the cinema. Of course you did. The last time I was the only one in the cinema. Uh, I had a lovely little party on my own. (laughs) And then like to do this whole like, you know, I'm going to be in Mamma Mia and just start doing ABBA covers. Right. She has a second album of ABBA covers coming out. (laughs) And everyone's just like, yep, that's it. Do you remember like becoming aware of her did your parents were they interested in her were other people around you interested in her or i like stumbled upon Cher. it was my first ever job when i was 19 was as a receptionist a recruitment company and for the christmas party it was a madame tussauds waxworks and everyone had to go dressed as someone and i went dressed as Cher, and i was just like and i was like just like, oh yeah, like Cher, she's a gay icon, I'll go dressed as Cher. And then any other time I then had to dress up, I would dress up as Cher. <laughs> and I don't know when it was, but I think I, like somehow I started to become synonymous in my friendship group with Cher. And I just started to listen to her more and more and more. And the more I like listened to her, the more of her extensive back catalogue I listened to, the more I connected with it, the more... I realized that there is literally a share for any mood. <laughs> you can have rock share, you can have country share, you can have pop share, uh, you can have like m- like weirdly 80s metal share, camp share. But yeah, it's like, so then I was just like, the more I learned about her musically, I was like, great. And then I discovered her movies and was like, okay, these are great. And I love this. And then and then there was just, there was something about the the overall being that is share that just spoke to my soul. I got one of her workout videos as a, like, present. And I remember just, like, (laughs) sitting and watching it and just being like, this woman is effortlessly incredible. Yeah. And there's an amazing line uh, that she she, she tells this story where, like, she'd broken up with Sunny and, like, the movies were doing well and, like, I think she just released Heart of Stone and that was obviously doing really, really well. And she was sat chatting with her mum and her mum was like, listen, you've done the movies, you've done the music, like, when are you going to find a nice rich man and, like, settle down? Mm. 
And she just went, Mum, I, I am a rich man. <laughs> and just that, that like balls of just being like, I'm not going to take shit from anyone. Like I, I was in this controlling relationship and I loved him and she, she always loved him. If, if you ever doubt how much Cher loves Sonny, watch her eulogy mm. at his mm. funeral. Because little known fact, she didn't know she was being filmed. She'd specifically said that there was no cameras allowed in. Um, and someone had let one in and just, oh, she's just so emotional throughout the whole thing. And But she was like, I'm never going to be ruled by a man again. Mm-hmm. And she spat from that moment on, she chose a man that she wanted. She dated, what, Tom Cruise for a while. She had she, Brad Pitt. She was seen dating. Like, she any man she wanted. Picked him up, chewed him out, spit him out. There's that interview where somebody asks her, like, if she's going to ever get married again and she says something like you know men are like dessert like yes you, know, you don't you know it, it, it's nice but you don't need it well it's like uh who's the um it was uh it was letterman mm. like she has this really really interesting relationship with david letterman mm. where the first time she i think it was 1986 1987 was mm. the first time she went on his show maybe a little bit earlier maybe it was late 90s but anyway um and he's like, oh, like, she comes out and she's just wearing, like, a slouchy, like, knitted jumper and, like, black leggings. And she just sits down and she has, like, short, choppy black hair. And, like, Lemon's like, oh, it's great. Like, we've been trying to get you on this show for ages. Like, uh, why did you finally decide to do it? And she was just like, I've got a big hotel bill. <laughs> and he's like, we're not offering to pay. Like, we're not going to pay that. And she's like, well, that's not what they said. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, never really, like, oh, other than, like, us paying your bills. Like, why didn't you want to come up? And she was like, honestly... I think you're a bit of an asshole. <laughs> and it's just, and he was just like, so taken aback by that. And she yeah. just sat there like shrugging her shoulders and was like, yeah, that's really the reason. Yeah. And they have this amazing witty banter back and forth. And she, they ended up, they're like, they're incredibly good friends now. She went, mm. She's been back on his show, I think uh, 10 or 15 times. There's the amazing uh, reunion they do with her and Sonny. Mm. Uh, where he's like this balding, like schlumpy, oversized <laughs> shirt guy, and Cher comes out in like full turn back time wig yeah. and outfit, and they have this really nice interview, and then they sprung the duet on them because mm. they'd been like, "We're not going to sing," and Lemon was just like, "The band are ready. Will you sing? I've got you, babe." And they had to have flashcards, but they get up and do it, and there's no interaction that I've ever seen with Cher on film or TV or anything where she isn't just 100% herself. And she's never tried to be anything else. She knows exactly where her market is. And it's one of these things where I look at like people like Madonna now, mm-hmm. where Madonna is just as much as an icon of Cher, despite how much they like don't like each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but rather than just actually make, like you have a fan base that fan base will pay for you. They will give you money if you feed them. That's exactly what Cher has done. Cher's been like, mm, I need some money. I'll churn out some pop hits. Right. Or like, I'll, like, okay, like if someone writes me some songs, I'll go back in and like, maybe I'll do this. And like, yeah, I'll go and chat on the show and I'll just, I'll just be me because that's all people want is like, is me. It's all I've been for, for decades and decades. Whereas like someone like Madonna, I felt like Madonna's like, I need to stay relevant. I need to right. stay hip with the kids. Right, right. Like that's what I need to do. And people are like, no, just give us quintessential Madonna. That's all yeah. we want. Yeah. Like, throw me the fish. Yeah. Like, I'm here yeah, clapping. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. do it. Yeah. And Cher's a master at that. How many, like, her farewell tour was in the late 2000s. For yeah. five years that farewell tour went on. Yeah, yeah. And then she was like, oh, I'm going back to Vegas. And then, 
Like, okay, I'll go on tour again. And now she's going on tour. I'm seeing her in October. I'm going on my own. I'm going on my own to a share concert because I wanted to buy the most expensive tickets possible so I could be as close to the front and I wasn't buying two of them. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I could buy one for me and my boyfriend, but we would be sat back here yeah. or I could combine that same price and buy me a ticket mm. and I could be within like smelling distance of her. Yeah. Fair God right. help those people who are going to be around yeah. me. You've seen her before. Yeah. Uh, I have. I saw her in Brooklyn uh, mm. and I cried twice. I cried mm. when she first came out and then I cried when she sang Turn Back Time because that's my favorite song. Uh, th- that was the only other time. That's the only time I've seen her. Wow. I, I've made it a, like I've made it a goal of mine to try and see everyone like if the opportunity comes up to see one of the like great living diva legends mm-hmm. i'll take it yeah. like, i don't care how much money i have to pay because yeah. i'm not going to be i'm not going to be 60 and being like oh i need to go and see the next katy perry like gig mm-hmm. we don't have icons in the same i think like maybe like gaga and beyonce and pink i have a i stand pink yeah but then pink and share love each other so yeah. <laughs> of course I just don't think, like, I don't think there are artists of the same caliber. I don't think there are artists who have the same sort of, like, breadth of talent and tenacity. We live in an environment now where if you, if the industry chews you up and spits you out, there is 150 people on YouTube clamoring to take your place. Whereas prior to that, there wasn't the internet, there wasn't celebrity. If you got chewed up and spat out, you had a record label that was like, hey, you've sold well before. We'll find a way to repackage this. And Cher is Cher's the perfect example of that, where she's had to work for everything. She had, like, everything she had. She's, she's had more downs than she's had ups. Yeah. And she's now at this stage where she doesn't give two shits. She's just like, if I want to do an album of ABBA covers, I'm going to do two of them. Yeah. Because you're going to buy them. And... I can get away with doing dance hits of Dancing Queen. Yeah. And I just love that. And I could be here for another two hours if we start talking about the fashion. Because <laughs> there was no one out there doing fashion like she was. Just the Bob Mackie era. And then mm. I think there are very few artists who have as many iconic looks as Cher. You think of Kylie, you think of the gold hot pants and you think of the can't get out of my head white look madonna you maybe think of the cowboy look mm-hmm. please like I, I throw them at me like there are Bette midler doesn't have a signature look like barbara streisand it's the black like chemise right. like like house coat but like share you can say to anyone like give me a share look and it's like anything from like the take me home bob mackie uh f- like sequin fringe to the Oscars headdress sheer look to the like casual when she went all like Native American and loved turquoise jewellery for a while in the early 2000s (laughs) there were just like the turn back time look who what other artist has had the tenacity to perform the entire of West Side Story where they play all of the parts (laughs) yes that, that line tonight I will be performing West Side Story I will be playing all the parts. <laughs> it's just, just bad CGI of her overlaying. It's just like, she just didn't care. And she doesn't yeah. care. And we need more artists like that yeah. who aren't afraid to bear who they are, but not in a way that's like Katy Perry's 24-hour cameras on you all the time. Yeah. I'm promoting an album. And it's not 
Beyonce's you will get nothing of me apart from what I show you in a perfectly curated manner through my work. And it's not Gaga's kind of all over the place energy. It's yeah. just a person living their life and being an artist and successful and mm -hmm. being human. And I don't think that's something that we get yeah. much with our divas or our stars or our musical inspirations anymore. And people like Cher and Tina Turner and, and Bette Midler and Grace Jones and, all of these kind of like classic iconic people they were celebrities before celebrity was a thing mm -hmm. and because of that you feel like you know a piece of, you know it understand you have an understanding of their life that you don't have about artists today mm -hmm. and that forms that connection between especially lgbt people and artists of artists of old yeah and i think that comparison to katy perry is kind of hits the nail on the head that with someone like Cher, it's this totally unselfconscious it's it's showmanship. Yeah. It's it. Uh, she's not afraid to be outrageous and to sometimes even look ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like it's really wanting to present herself authentically and at the same time put on the best show that she can for her fans. Exactly. Which is uh, a pretty amazing way for an, uh, an artist to live their life. Yeah. We're just lucky that she'll never die. Yeah. It's, it's she'll fact. just keep trucking I mean her mum is 94 yeah. and you look at that woman now and she is stunning and doesn't look a day over 70 yeah. and they share not looking a day over 50 <laughs> yes so and she's about to go like yeah these artists are in their 70s and they're still touring yeah I hope I live to the day where at least one or two of the artists that we grew up watching like a Gaga or a Beyonce or anything is mm -hmm. still touring. I hope we live in a world where kids, like young gay kids, will be able to like look at these aging divas and have a back catalogue of work mm -hmm. that spans 60 years and be able to be like, wow, like I can track that whole journey of an artist that we were lucky enough to go through. Or they'll just have the artist that we had. Yeah. And yeah. We will have been lucky enough to live through a time when we could see them and actually interact with them. Yeah. Um, Lovely. Thanks. I think that was a comprehensive overview. Um, as much as you can of share. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, we're glossing over a yeah. lot of important detail, I'm sure. But I feel satisfied. Uh, I'm spent. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You need a nap. Um, if people listening to this are not just curious about Cher, but are curious about you Ooh. and want to know where to find out more about what you're up to, where would they do that? Uh, you can find me predominantly on Instagram under at the Sybil War, C-Y-B-I-L-W-A-R. If you are interested in drag or CrossFit or fitness or pictures of men in their underwear, those men predominantly being me, that's where you can find me. <laughs> I'm, that's where I post all the news about drag shows that I'm doing and fitness things that I'm doing. So great. Living my biggest share fantasy. <laughs> yes. Slash two Wong yeah. Fu. <laughs> uh, um, perfect. Thank you so much. This was Thank so much you. fun. So much fun. Um, Thank you for having me. Yes. Awesome that we could do this when we were in the same room. Yes. Yeah. Great to see you. Yes. Um, all right. And see you soon. See you soon. Bye. Isn't he lovely? He really is. Thanks again, Civil War. Okay, my arts recommendations for the week. Firstly, the aforementioned concerts. 
I saw Massive Attack at Radio City, and they were absolutely incredible. It was the 21st anniversary of their third album, Mezzanine, and the last time I saw them was on the original Mezzanine tour, because I'm old, guys. Anyway, they sounded amazing. The guest vocalists sounded amazing, Horace Andy and Liz Frazier. These clear, powerful voices singing these classic songs, and the visuals were insane. Huge screens displaying technophobic, anti-capitalist, and environmentalist text and imagery, plus amazing lighting and... I loved it. I'll post some shit on social media for you so you can have a little taste. I also saw Emotional Oranges at Brooklyn Steel, and they sounded great. The show was really simple, just the two of them singing over a backing track, but it was so much fun. And the lighting played a huge part because they've got this whole shtick that they're anonymous and, you know, no one's going to know who they are. So there was a lot of smoke and backlighting to keep them in silhouette. But the light show around them really enhanced the performance. I'll post some videos of that too. And then I went to see Ad Astra, the new Brad Pitt movie. I really liked it. It's a pretty simple story about space travel, but the visual effects are totally breathtaking. Make an effort to see it on the big screen if you can, because there are parts of it that will make your jaw drop. Okay, that's some good stuff for you there. Are you satisfied? I bet you are. I'm going to assume you are. And now, the only thing I can say is, please follow me on social media at Spark Parade. Please also take 10 seconds to rate and review the show. It can be an all-emoji review. In fact, that's what I'd prefer. Okay, kids, keep your chins up this week and try to have some fun. Until next time, bye. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.